Today's reading is taken from Luke, uh, chapter 11, verse 1 to 13. Jesus' teaching on prayer. One day, Jesus was teaching in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive anyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Annie. Anyone here remember the summer of 1987? Oh, some of you. Good, good. Anyone here not even born in 1987? Two of you. Oh, One at the back as well, very tiny one. Oh, and another couple here. Well, you're forgiven for not remembering the summer of 1987, but um, I'm remembering particularly a hot day. I'm remembering Tesco's in Wandsworth in London, and I'm remembering a very harassed mum and a whiny, whiny toddler going non-stop, sweeties, I want sweeties, sweeties, give me sweeties. Volume rising, I want sweeties. Getting to the pitch where toddler goes and throws himself in front of the trolley on the floor. Any mums here nodding with a massive tantrum, shrieking at the top of his voice, give me sweeties now. And all the other people are going, what a dreadful mother that one is, and tutting and few people going, oh, that's all right, don't worry. But the volume of the demand of sweeties rises up and up and up. And the mother steers the trolley around the toddler, (laughs) carries on, at which point toddler gets up, runs in front of trolley again, throws himself (laughs) down again, 
You've got the image. Yes, you've got the scene. Okay, so this mum, which was me, I admit it all, this is what she did. She decided not to bother buying the bag of super highly coloured hyperactivity-inducing chemical nothing, sugary nothingness that my son wanted, and I gave him a cucumber. <laughs> and to be fair, he loved his cucumber, and that calmed him down, and, he and I got him back in the trolley, and he munched his way down this cucumber, and I had to present this rather disgusting half-eaten vegetable to the woman at the checkout <laughs> to be scanned <laughs> at the end. Anyway, that was my summer of 1987, and a nice, happy mothering Sunday memory for me. Thankfully, he grew up to be quite a nice chap, really. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> I did wonder whether, for some of us, that's what prayer would look like if we took that passage that we just heard uh, literally whining away at God non-stop until he gives in throwing a tantrum throwing our toys out the pram when he doesn't answer or doesn't answer in the way that we expect him to or thinking that we have to use the right words or the right sort of formula to persuade him to answer our prayers in the way that we want him to. So perhaps as you were listening to Annie read that Bible reading to us, maybe there was a couple of questions swirling around in your mind when I asked my husband Steve what questions that passage raised for him. He, he said this, he said, well, why do we need to keep on asking for the same things over and over and over again? Why can't we just ask God the once? Is he deaf? Does he not hear us? Does he not listen? So why do we have to keep on asking? And why doesn't he answer our prayers when they're good prayers, as far as we're concerned? Why does he not seem to answer our prayers? And he had a few other questions as well, but those are the main ones. And I was thinking, well, probably for all of us, that's true, isn't it? That sometimes we think these questions in our mind uh, to do with the subject of prayer. So what I'm hoping today is that we're going to get a bit of food for thought as we carry on on our missionary journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, answering these questions, I hope, but also finding out at the end, how then shall we pray? So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn to them, I will be going through some of it verse by verse. It was page 1042, Luke 11, uh, 1 to 13, and I don't know why I'm opening it, because I haven't got my glasses on and I can't read it, but <laughs> hopefully I've got enough in my, in my text or in my head to remember. So we're going to start, yes, really radically, we'll start at verse 1. And I came to a grinding halt very quickly in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, is what Luke wrote, and I screeched to a halt at that point. I thought I wasn't going to get any further for some time, actually, because I thought, hang on a minute, what's this phrase, a certain place? What does that mean? And it's quite a theme in Luke of Jesus going off to different places to pray. We have uh, on a mountainside, he talks about Jesus praying in private or praying in a solitary place and things like that. And Luke wanted to, wants us to draw out from it that Jesus makes a habit of going to pray at certain times. Uh, and he knew that he knew his relationship to his father was the main rock on which his ministry stood. Now, our vision for St. Paul's is seeing lives transformed by Jesus through praying, growing, and connecting. 
And prayer should be the bedrock of everything that we do. And if we don't pray, then surely we won't connect with God and others in a meaningful way. And we definitely won't grow as individuals and as a church. So we need to be praying. So this is the question that first sentence raised for me. Where is my, your, our certain place? Where do you go to put you in the right frame of mind for prayer? Do you have somewhere like that? Because if you don't, why don't you ask God to show you where is your certain place? The Celtic uh, tradition calls it a thin place where heaven and earth are really close and you just start to feel like you can connect with God. And by the way, it doesn't have to be a static place. You don't have to sit down and get your hands together and screw your eyes shut and pray really hard, although, you know, there are times for that. It could be somewhere out in the open where you can walk about because Jesus up on the mountainside all night, well, don't tell me he sat still all night. He must have got up and walked around as he prayed and talked to his father, mustn't he? So your place, your certain place, might be somewhere out in the open air. Mine is, um, I've got two places. I've got a cup of tea in my bedroom, quiet place, indoors, and then outside on the common with my dog. I've got a special walk. I call it my prayer route. I know exactly how long it takes, and I can walk it with the dog, and I can sort of just be in prayer without thinking about where I'm going. So have you got a certain place? Can you find one if you don't? And if you do have one, then rejoice in it and use it to help you connect with God. So that's the first half of verse one gone. (laughs) Don't worry, the rest won't take quite as long, I think. But we're on to the second half now of verse one. And the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And that's referring back to John the Baptist. And um, what the disciples were expecting was that just as John the Baptist would have taught his followers how to pray using set prayers that in the Jewish tradition they prayed morning and evening, they were expecting Jesus to give them something like that, um, sort of morning and evening daily office, if you like, using sort of traditional Anglican uh, phraseology. So they wanted a set prayer. But Jesus doesn't give them a sort of set liturgy to follow. He gives them a model for prayer, which is what we call, of course, the Lord's Prayer. And it wasn't intended to be a set of magic words to give them the desired outcome that they wanted. And it wasn't intended to be anything more than to teach them about the person they're praying to and what he's like. And what probably immediately strikes us about Luke's version of the the Lord's Prayer, which, by the way, is most likely the, the closest to the original one that Jesus taught, but what strikes us is how simple it is, how direct. There's no great long rambling sentences. There's no convoluted words. It's just straight to the point. Father, it starts. Father, here we go. The one we're praying to. Directly, that relationship is established. And it's that relationship which makes the rest of the prayer meaningful. If we don't have relationship with God as our Father, the rest is actually fairly pointless. So, Father, we direct our thoughts, our eyes, our prayer lives to him. Hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come. Now, that's not just telling God something he already knows, i.e. he's holy. Yes, he knows that. Yes, I do. It's not, it's actually a double whammy prayer, this one. Because of the holiness of God's name and because of the holiness of his character, then his kingdom can be established on earth. Now, preaching about the coming kingdom of God was one of the driving forces of Jesus' ministry. So we're asking for God's kingdom to come ever more fully until it reaches its climax at the end of time. So God, because you are holy, your kingdom has come, is come, and will now come. And then we come to three requests using the word us and our. And these remind us that we are in a community, that we don't exist alone. And we are asked to pray as a community. And the first one is, give us this day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, on the surface, this is just a simple request. You know, God, just provide me with the food I need. Thank you very much. And of course it is, but there's a really much deeper meaning in this because Luke uses the word which we somewhat simplistically translate as each day. The Greek word he uses um, is epiousios. And apparently that really doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. Epiousios denotes essential, continual, ongoing giving. And it's meant to make a deliberate parallel with the Israelites in the wilderness when they were following Moses around, traveling and not getting to the um, promised land, when the manna came and it was just there for one day and it wasn't there by and large till the next. It didn't keep. So this is saying, God, we can rely on you for our ongoing essential daily needs. And it's an expression of our dependence on him every day so it's not just about food then forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us ha yes forgiveness now we need this as surely and as desperately as we need bread and our forgiveness is based on having our loving father who has forgiven us so much And in the Jewish tradition, again, there's a strong link between being forgiven and forgiving those who have hurt you. If I cannot forgive in the Jewish tradition, then I cannot be forgiven. I cannot receive it. Why is that? Well, because God's mercy flows through the same channel. It's a two-way thing, whether we're being forgiven or whether we are doing the forgiving And it's all part, considered to be part, of the same gift of God. And you can't have the one without the other. So is there somebody today that you need to forgive in order that you can receive the fullness of God's forgiveness, in order to that channel stays clear? Because I know that when I'm out of sorts with somebody, I feel completely out of kilter. Nothing is quite right. And it's only when I finally take a deep breath and usually humble myself and say sorry or forgive the person in prayer that it's actually like a physical burden being lifted off of me. 
So do you need to forgive someone so that you can receive the fullness of God's forgiveness? And it might not be a one someone. I had to forgive the army once. That was a big forgive. Because they kept moving us around. And I was really unhappy for a while. And it was only when I forgave the army for being like that that I was able to move on. I know it sounds stupid, but I actually had to ask the then curate if it was okay to forgive uh, a, a corporation. <laughs> and it was and it is. So that was the model of prayer that has stood the test of time. And now Jesus moves on to tell a parable. And he wants to assure his disciples that God does answer our prayers. And he, and he illustrates it with the parable and then some sayings. And he wants to encourage them to pray with confidence. So if we look at verses 5 to 8, here we have this very short parable. And it describes what to the Jews then was a pretty unthinkable situation. Because I'm sure that many, if not most of you know, that hospitality was a key thing in the Jewish culture. And no one would dream of refusing a request for hospitality from a traveller because it would bring great shame on them, great shame on the host. And so the parables told to remind the disciples that it was unthinkable that bread would be withheld, whatever the inconvenience to the one it's being asked from. And, you know, it might even have been a situation that they themselves had come across in their travels. Now, I tried to think of a modern-day parable to that, uh, parallel to the parable. That's not easy to say, and I hope you can see uh, that cartoon. But there's a, a lady leopard doing the washing up. There's a gentleman leopard with it laid back with his feet up. Uh, and it says like something like, I'm not asking you to change your spots. I'm just asking you to take out the garbage. <laughs> now... Why have I... Well, this was my somewhat imperfect modern-day parable. Um, so say I ask my husband to do a household chore, okay, like the hoovering. And he says yes, because he's lovely, is Steve. But then nothing happens. <laughs> no hoovering noises. Grubby floor remains. I go out to work. I come up here. I come home. I see the doggy footsteps still up and down the hall. Nothing has happened, so I just remind him gently. He apparently ignores me, because in his mind, he said, yes, I'm going to do the hoovering, I'll just do it in my time, not yours, and it will get done. Next morning, I'll ask again, when the hoovering still isn't done. And eventually, the conversation goes something like this. Women, in, I hope you are with me on this. When are you going to do it then? Him, look, I know it needs doing. You've asked me once, so why do you need to keep on asking? Don't you trust me to do it when I've said I will? In Steve's mind, it's unthinkable that the hoovering won't get done because he's on it. And of course, my parallel falls down immediately now because our relationship with God isn't like this uh, imperfect wife and her saintly husband. <laughs> God actually does want us to keep on asking, even when there's no sign of anything happening. So that's where my parable my par didn't quite work. However, I thought you might like to know how, what a lovely chap my husband is this Mothering Sunday. Honest. <laughs> He's not here, we're all right. <laughs> anyway, what the disciples need to learn is that it's completely inconceivable that God will not answer 
but that they have a responsibility as well. Verse 8, they have to ask with shameless audacity. Shameless audacity. Now, that, what does that mean? It doesn't mean being presumptuous or cheeky or demanding or rude. What it means is having a confident persistence that comes from knowing that in time of need, God is even more willing to respond than that neighbor when the host went round to ask for bread. He's even more trustworthy than that. And he wants us to keep on asking, but from a place of trust, unlike my lack of faith in Steve ever getting round to the hoovering. So Jesus is teaching his disciples and us to pray with confident persistence to God our Father, whose name is holy, whose kingdom has come, is now here, and will come in all its fullness in the future. And that's faith by any other name. So having got this far in the passage, let's just quickly check back to our original questions. Why do we need to keep on asking for the same things? Why doesn't God answer our prayers even when we do keep on asking? And add an extra one, how then shall we pray? Well, I do hope that looking at the parable with its emphasis on shameless audacity and having the confidence that God will answer will give us a, the response to why, we, why God wants us to keep on asking. But as we carry on now and look at the next bit, let's turn to verses 9 to 11. And once again, we've got these sayings to encourage us in this confident and persistent praying. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Now, taking it literally, that looks as if whatever we ask for in prayer, we should get, right? Ask and you will receive. Seek and find, etc., etc. Now, Maybe some of you remember, we did a thing called the prayer course, I think it was last year, and I happened to preach on the uh, one, uh, the section of it on intercessory prayer, which was about asking God on behalf of others. And I can remember quoting Pete Gregg, who wrote the prayer course and was the founder of 24-7 Prayer. Uh, he said this, that it is a deep mystery how in prayer, somehow God wants to work in partnership with us, so that when we pray to God, stuff happens, and conversely, when we don't pray, there's stuff that won't happen. Now, I've been wrestling with this ever since I preached that sermon, in all honesty. Specifically, why do some prayers not seem to get answered, even when they appear to be good prayers, like, please heal this person, or please bring this member of my family to faith in Jesus? Why doesn't God seem to answer but what I've learned over the time since I preached that through my reading and praying and learning is that being in partnership with God isn't just Pete Gregg's bright idea. It comes from what scholars call process theology. Now, I'm really grateful to a book by a previous Bishop of Oxford, John Pritchard, for this next bit, which is quite deep, but I do want you to bear with me because I think it's really helpful. Because what process theologians argue is this. God chose to create the world in such a way that our cooperation is necessary for his kingdom to come. He's chosen to create the world in this way. And because he's chosen to create the world this way, he can't now create a world that works that way, in another way. 
you follow? He can't uncreate the world the way it is. It's something that's called divine self-limitation. God has chosen to limit the way he operates within the world by the way he's created it. Yes, he's omnipotent. Yes, he can do anything. But here's the thing. In choosing to create the world the way it is, in choosing to limit himself by that, he's put in place a creation event that is not a one-off finished event. It's a process. Creation is a process. And within that process, he's given us, the human race, free will. Okay? So creation is moving towards the end of time. And within that, he's given us independence and free will. And his loving care for our world is forever reflected in the light of that decision. And the most dramatic statement of his self-limitation is when he allowed himself to be helplessly nailed to the cross to suffer in our place, to identify with us in that suffering. And that's the ultimate act of grace. So this is God's self-limiting humility that he has chosen to work by collaboration, not by dictatorship. I hope you're still with me. (laughs) So we do need to pray, not to persuade him to do something, but in some deep, mysterious way to enable him to do something that might have been more difficult otherwise. God respects the way the world is. And when his will and our will are aligned, that's when his purposes can be achieved. Gosh, this is an amazing truth. For God's kingdom to come, he depends on our cooperation. We need to ask. We need to seek. We need to knock on the door. Otherwise, things can't and won't happen. Of course, we don't always ask for the right things or at the right time. And that's maybe when our prayers don't seem to get answered. But it shouldn't stop us from asking. And in some significant respect, maybe unseen by us, the situation we pray for will be, un- will be changed in some deep way. And if we don't get the answer we're looking for, then please, we must not blame ourselves and we definitely mustn't blame God because he isn't waiting for us to happen upon the right prayer formula or say the right words or bang on at him until we break down his defenses. No, we're praying to the father of the prodigal son who is running towards us at top speed. He's the loving father who gives us the fish and the egg to use Jesus's picture there. Now, it might not be the fish or the egg we're expecting, but it will be a good gift nonetheless. And if our prayer doesn't seem to be getting answered, then it's more likely that we have come up against the limitations of the world created as it is with its own independence. So when we pray, something will change, but we can't predict what. 
travelled with me on that. If not, come and talk to me afterwards. I'll try and explain it again. However, I'm going to finish now with giving you a really simple set of hints of how to pray. Okay? Firstly, reminder, find your certain place, the place which leads you into prayer. Secondly, keep it simple, unlike what I've just been sharing with you perhaps. Keep your prayers simple, no need for long words, no special formulas required. Just be yourself and talk to God about the things that are on your heart and use the model of the Lord's Prayer, of course, if you like. Secondly, thirdly now, sorry, keep it real. Okay, be honest with God. Share your doubts. Give him, give him some welly if you're not happy with what, what, uh, what's going on. Share your joys. Share your pain. Share your happiness. Share your suffering. Share your loss. Share the good things. Ask for specific things. Ask for your daily ongoing needs. And ask God for what you should be asking as well. Say, Lord, what, should you, what do you want me to pray for? But just have some realistic expectations of the answers derived from this deep understanding of God as Father who loves you and wants to give you all those good gifts. And lastly, keep it up. Persevere. Pray with boldness. Pray with shameless audacity. Asking in the confident understanding that God does want to answer our prayer and he does want to partner with us. And it's unthinkable that he wouldn't answer. Because when we do all that and bring our needs to God's love in faith, folks, that's prayer. And that's all we can do. So we're going to finish now by saying the words of Luke's Lord's Prayer together before Kathy leads us in some uh, intercessions. The words are on the screen. You might probably want to read it because it is a little different to the one we normally pray. But let's say it all together with that request at the start. Lord, teach us to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. <laughs>